Welcome back to the Actors Process Podcast. The focus of this podcast is to learn and understand in as much detail as possible what working actors do in their preparation for performance. This includes script analysis, auditioning, on-set or on-stage behavior, character development, tools, techniques, and training, and anything else relevant to the actor's process. Basically, inside the actor's studio, but on steroids, and without all that stomach-turning, pandering, and obsequiousness. Nothing about the business. My name is Kevin Duane. I'm a New York City-based actor and on-camera coach. This is part two of my interview with James Dumont, in which he answers last episode's cliffhanger question of how he approaches sides, as well as covering scene structure, GPSing the text, working with Jared Leto on Dallas Buyers Club, and his many experiences of being on set. If you haven't already, go to YouTube and search Rayon talking to her father in Dallas Buyers Club. Fair warning, there's a few off-color words at around the four and a half minute mark. Let's get to it. Let's talk about uh, the work the actor does alone. Can you teach me how you approach audition sides? What do you do step by step? Step by step for me is, um, you know, Tim Phillips taught me about the through line of the scene, which I found to probably be the, the, like the, golden, the golden nugget, the key to the city. Usually when I get sides, the first thing I do is I look at the last line of dialogue or the second last line of dialogue in the scene. Unless it's a word, 99% of the time, it's the summation of what the scene is all about. So mm-hmm. I, I don't even have to look at the breakdown. I, I can go right to the last line of dialogue or the second last line of dialogue in the scene. And it'll tell me what the scene is all about. So it, it, it's a quick way in. I call it GPSing your audition. Like mm-hmm. if you were trying to get somewhere, you'd put in your destination first. Where am I going? And then you look at what are, what are the right turns and left turns and what exits and what, where do I need to, how do I, how do I get there? But the first thing you put in is your destination, which I think is very interesting. So I call it GPSing your audition. So I usually go to the through line, which is the last line of dialogue, second last line of dialogue in the scene. And then, because that's where I'm going to end up. These are the last things that I say. And good writing, and lately I'm happy to say a lot of television writing has been really solid, pretty much since the Writers Guild strike. I think it's just kind of changed the game for everybody. Is each scene has a particular purpose and three-act structure in it. This scene, it's supposed to start here, this happens, and then it finishes here in order to go to the next scene. It's like, the, it's like comic strip. It's like, the, it's like storyboarding. Each particular scene has a, has a, a, a given three-act structure already. So mm-hmm. once I know where I'm going to end up, then I have to craft my way backwards. How do I get to this final conclusion button closed? How do I get to this last thing that I say? And so then that's the first thing I do is I look at the through line. Uh, and then I look at the narrative because film and television is a visual medium. What are, what, are the, what are the visual clues that are what, are, what are the visual things that have to happen in the scene? Because it's being told visually, not necessarily through words like a play. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what actions have to happen? Are there looks between the thing? Do I grab something? Is there a phone that I grab? Do I reach for a file? What are the physical things that have to happen in the scene? And then I go to the first line of dialogue. And then usually I go look at the first line of dialogue and then that last sentence. And I go, okay, well, I start here and I end here. Now it's time for me to find the turn of the scene. Now there may be beat changes. There may be many little beat changes, but there's usually one turn. And the way in which that we 
find and define a turn is something that is said, done, or felt that once it's said, once it's done, once physically, once it's felt, it can't be unsaid, undone, or unfelt. So once I say I love you, or once I pull out the gun, or once you grab someone, the scene changes. And the way in which you know that's a turn is because once that's brought up, the other character is immediately affected. It's a ripple effect. There may be little beat changes between that shifts of power that go back and forth. But once you, once you say, I love you, or once you grab that person, that scene changes. That, that scene will never go back to the way it was. Mm. So that's how a way to identify the turn of it. And why these are important is if you have a really good hold on the visual context of what is happening in the scene in a three-act structure, it, it, it breeds a lot of confidence in a decision maker or a curator, casting director, or, or the person who created the content to go, wow, or a director who's supposed to take these words and turn these words into a visual context. So if you're able to f- understand what the scene is all about in a vi- visually uh, and structurally, you're, you're, you're in line with the, the person who created it. You're in line with the, the person who's going to have to turn it from a page to, to, to the screen. You may not have your words word perfect, but at least you understand the, what the scene is all about. Now, is that an empathetic understanding as opposed to just an intellectual understanding? Something that you sort of, oh, I feel this. Or, or you, you used in the class, look for these. Oh, the ahas, the oh shit, the oh's and the what the fucks. Yeah, the surprises. Yes. Right. What's new? You know, I think, you know, we have to, you know, Tim used to say, you have to remember to forget. You have to remember that you don't know that. And Larry yeah. Moss would say, your character doesn't know that yet. You don't know that. You don't, don't anticipate that. You don't know what you're going to say. You don't know what they're going to say. You don't know how the scene's going to go. So you have to be on the lookout for the surprises. Sometimes I'm looking at the script and I go, oh, that, that's new. Does my character know that yet? Is that, a, is that the first time I'm hearing it? Or do I know that? And one of the things that tendency would happen sometimes is, I, we talked about this last night in lab, you know, don't, don't spend so much time crafting things off camera that you don't leave yourself open for surprises and discoveries on camera. You know, don't, don't overcraft your audition. Tim used to say, you perform how you prepare. If you overperform, if you overprepare, you overperform. If you mm-hmm. underprepare, you underperform. You have to find this like happy balance where you plug the things in. And then just like in the theater, once you break the footlights or once you start the camera, you know, who knows where it's going to go? <laughs> you have to be open for that kind of possibility. Mm-hmm. But I do feel that, 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 that if you don't get the words word perfect, but you know who the, but you know who who that person is to you in the scene or the object of your behaviors, as Tim would talk about in his book, you know, the person in the scene is, is the object of your behavior. They're the reason that you're there. Who are they to you from the get-go? Before you open your mouth, it should be very clear who they are to you, friend or foe, right out of the gate. And where do you start? Where's the turn? And where do you finish? Where do you end up? And throughout that, how do you go about getting what you want in the scene? Is this person, is what they say to you a positive or a negative? Is it helping you or hurting you? Does is getting in your way? You know, are they with you or against you? And then what are you saying to them? Is it, is it, a, is it a plus or a minus? Is it getting you closer to the objective or further away? You know, so I'll look at, I'll start with the through line. Then I'll look at the narrative. Then I'll look where I'll start. Then I'll look for the turn. 
and then I'll just start playing because mm. I know where I'm, I know where I end up. That's the cool thing about GPS. It's like, I know where my destiny, I know at the end of this thing, I got to get there. And I know I start here. Well then what happens in the middle here that gets me to that destination? So you're still working alone at this time. Do you, uh, do you get yeah. feet and you yeah, I do. I actually, I, I rehearse in my studio. Um, I, I like to rehearse where I'm going to shoot for self tapes. I know some people like to do it in bed or sitting down or uh, in the couch or that that's not a conducive working environment for me, at least I found that where you, you get tired and you get to start to intellectualize it. But again, you know, McConaughey had this really thing he posted up on Instagram that I love. They said, well, how do you, how do you memorize all those lines? And I was like, yeah, I hear that all the time. And he goes, I don't memorize lines. What I do is I sit with the character and I run it and I ruminate and I work through it. And so mm-hmm. like in the morning I get up, I have my coffee, sit down, I read through the lines, I put it down. Then I go, I go walk my dog. I pick the sides up. I walk around the block. I'm saying the lines out loud. I start looking at it and I go, what is my character? Is who's in my way? Am I getting what I want? Are they, are they listening to what I'm saying? Where, you know, what are the surprise? You know, what's going on here? And then I put it, he goes, then I put it down. Then I'll have lunch or then I'll go work out and I'll put it up and I'll do it while I'm jogging, you know? So there's different emotional places and things that are happening throughout the day. And I've been doing that. Lucky for me, I finally had an audition where I got it on a Monday and it wasn't due till tomorrow. <laughs> and so, whew, you know, I usually get eight, 10, 12 pages day of because there's names that they're looking at and they'd like to see what I'm going to do in order to throw me in the mix. And they're looking at names. They're look, there's just no two ways about it. But they want to see, like, you know, but so if I can turn it around in the time period that they're checking avails and checking price tags and checking if that person can, you know, do the gig and what, you know, what it would cost. Uh, and then they can throw my work in front of, the, you know, as an alternate or a, or a, or less expensive alternate to it. Um, so I don't always get the luxury. I usually get day of 48 hour, 24 or 48 hour turnaround is normal for me. So the mm. fact that I've had these last five days, it's a comedy. I probably could have easily turned it around. Normally I'd, I'd turn it in early. You know, I'm going to try to get it in by end of day today for due tomorrow, because I know that there is, there are people that they're probably looking at and the sooner I get it in, the better. I think with certain pages, I recommend people turn it around right away, but I also don't throw up under rehearsed work either because that could blow up in your face of going, Oh, that person's really not kind of ready to work, you know, or like, Oh, that seemed very under rehearsed. So it's, you know, it's, a, it's a, every situation is kind of different. You know, for me, I probably would have thrown this up. And now in hindsight, I probably should have just thrown it up a few days earlier just to potentially compete more, meaning put my, my art or my exhibition in the mix earlier. But, um, you know, I also don't like, I mean, after being rushed for so much, I'd like to take, because it's a film, I got a little more time. If it's TV, I got to turn it around right away. Mm-hmm. Just the, the, it moved, the moving parts are too quickly. With film... You know, it's two to three months out before it's working, especially with COVID. So that gives them more people to look at over a longer period of time. So for film, I have a little more of a luxury. And, and I've put my work in front of this director for, you know, for a very large film that he got uh, an Oscar nomination for. So sometimes I'd like to just, you know, sit with the character a bit, you know, and run it. And that's what I've been doing. You know, I was up till two this morning, got up, ran it before I went to bed, got up for you ran it after i hang up from you i'll go run it again 
you know, and what figure you- out when I'm sitting in there, I'll figure out where the eye lines are. One's a you know dinner table with my family. My son's here. My wife will be here as she's cooking. And then my daughter comes in. So I have three to four eye lines to kind of choose from. But, you know, I go in there and I, it's just like the theater days. I just, this is my rehearsal. And then I'll get to tech and dress and then I'll just shoot it. And when you run it, you're, you're reading both partners partners or both characters yeah like yeah sometimes i'm I'm alone mostly but i think sometimes i'll you know like yesterday i was taping one of my students my assistant earl for for an audition and i just had had him just sit and run with me run it for a little bit because he's going to come back later today so i just ran it last night last night with him just to kind of get a good run with listening to have sure somebody else do it which is nice um Mm -hmm. lucky for me my son's also a really good actor so my wife actually has been kind enough to (laughs) to read um so you know i've had it where it's been my my daughter as well so i've had my entire family on the other side of the camera for a family scene so uh and then when i'm when i'm remotely luckily i have students pretty much everywhere so i have have a couple students in charleston that i'll probably be hitting up for you know being readers and also my fellow actors on gemstones will you know come meet me in my hotel suite and we'll just knock out whatever's going to come up in the next couple weeks let's uh get into some of your roles yeah Uh, now, when you arrive on set or location, what do you do to continue or how do you continue the work of the process that you've been preparing at home when you're yeah. on location or the set? Uh, how does That's a very interesting question because and, and it's and it's 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 been different because of COVID. There is a little more um, alone time and isolation in your trailer than before. Um, just for safety purposes, there's no reason for you to be up on set watching or, you know, when you don't really need to be there, it's one less, one, one more, even though we've all been tested, you know, two days before and tested that day. Um, it's a little more isolation to it. I had a recent situation with that. There was a little troubling that I kind of need to prepare, prepare myself for. Although, you know, I have a, I get spoiled with the gemstones because Danny McBride has been working with the same crew and the same people since they all went to college together. So this is a 20 to 25 year group of well-oiled machine. Mm. So when I work with them, I'm, I'm, I'm spoiled. They spoil me for every other experience because every other experience, because I'm booking off a self tape and I haven't met these people. I haven't met them in person. I'm a stranger at the, at this lovely Thanksgiving feast. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I'm, you know, and, and I enjoyed the meal and I'd love to keep coming back, but they're like, no, 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 you're just a guest for tonight. You're just a one day guest here. But when I'm now that I'm going back to the second season, you know, going to get into the double digits of episodes with the same group of people. Yeah. I get spoiled. I get spoiled because there's, there's a synergy. There's a, a shorthand. There's a sense of playfulness, but for me, for like my, I'll talk to my last experience, which was a really, it was a little troubling to me because I didn't, I didn't leave there feeling I did my best work. And it, a lot of it, it, there were many circumstances that, that led to that. Although I think the editor is going to be pleased. And I think, cause I've been doing this long enough that I think they got what they needed. And, but you know, the circumstances were that I got there fairly early in the mor- in the morning, even though I knew we were fairly, I think we're, supposed to be you know the second to last up of the day but they wanted me there early to do my covid tests get comfortable and be there and have lunch and but here's the interesting thing i read for this audition in march i booked the job in april and i shot it at the end of may so and i had 20 something auditions in in march so 
when I heard that I got the job in April, I didn't know what the, I didn't even remember what it was. <laughs> and then, then I had another month that I had to re-prepare. So it's interesting. I prepared the audition because when I do the audition, it's like I'm doing the job. I like, I, I prepare it all out. You know, what, what you see in my audition, if you, if you look at, there's a great thing on Instagram called slate to screen challenge. And so people put their audition up next to the work that they, that they, that they got. And so for me, it's not my audition for the banker is very, very close to what I did in the scene. It's not very different at all, other than I had a costume and it was, you know, well lit and shot on film. But so my point is, is that I had so I prepared the audition and nailed it to the best of my ability and forgot about it. And then, oh, they're checking my availability. Oh, I booked this thing. Okay, it's not till the end of the month. Well, I have lots of things between now and then. So but then when it came back up, I was like, oh. I have to relearn these lines. I have to reacquaint myself with this character. I have to do a little bit of research, you know, find out about where the, that was based on a book and do a little. So it was like I had to do it all over again, to be quite honest. And then when I got on set, I just ran it and ran it and ran the lines. And I'm driving this entire scene. And then we go to rehearsal. It's great. The director is amazing. And I'm working with this Oscar nominated actor that I really love. And this other woman who's, you know, was on a show with the David Simon series that I love. And I'm like, this is fantastic. I'm like, this is going to, and he goes, yeah. And I want the sheriff to get up and walk out of his office. And then you guys have to follow him. And he goes over to a file cabinet. He pulls the file cabinet out and he opens the thing and he shows him the picture. He hands it to you. And then he walks back out expecting you to follow him. And I go, I love all this. Cause it's a little power. It's my power scene. They're coming to me for all this information and, and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting to speak a little bit. I'm in my office. I get up and leave. I make them follow me, a little power trip, right? I hand them the information they need. I drop it in their lap. I walk away, another little power trip, right? Sit back down, blah, 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 more information. And I'm like, this is going to be fantastic. I'm so glad we get, like, this is a real up on your feet scene. And then they go, well, okay, that was a great rehearsal. Now we have to go shoot this plane landing for this other scene of somebody, the plane landing and coming in. And we have to shoot it before, before sunset. So two hours go by, three hours go by. Plane has a hard time landing. It takes forever. They're lo almost losing their light. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Oh, you go to lunch, go to lunch. So then, I, then we eat for another hour. You know, and it's four hours from the time that we rehearsed the thing. And then I get to the set and the, guy, and the director's like, I'm so sorry. I hate to do this to you guys. We're not going to be able to do any of the stuff going over there we're going to have to keep it all here. So you'll have to be at your desk instead of getting up and walking out, just go over to the drawer, bring it back over, hand it to her. So like all that fun stuff that we had planned because of time was washed away. And all the momentum of the things we were working on in the scene got washed away in the four hours between that. And then they threw another little rent monkey wrench in the works, which was, I was, Ace Tamenafin, I was saying Ace Tamenafin, it's uh, Ace uh, Acetaminophen. So I was, I was pronouncing one of the medical terms wrong the entire time and no one said anything until I got there. And so now they threw that, that, that monkey wrench in the works. And then one person saying Acetaminophen and one, one was saying <coughs> Acetaminophen. And so, and I got you know, Acetaminophen in my head. Like, so, you know, then I'm, then I'm tripped up on these damn words, you know, which is like, so this goes all the way back to March. And so, and then, you know, here, I think I'm going to get this master and a medium and a close. And it's a guy on a dolly in the far left corner of my office. 
and he and so the dolly shot is the master then he rolls in for a medium and then he rolls in on the close so i'm getting it on a one it's all on one on one shot and then when we reverse it and i i think i may have got the the uh, acetaminophen 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 I think I may have got it one done once and, and say to my, and then, you know, my actor was like, Oh, they'll fix it. In post. They'll, you'll, you'll, you'll be just, they'll call you for ADR, you know? And I'm just like, God damn it. I don't want that, you know? And so that was how my experience kind of went, you know, and, and we, we worked very, very late and uh, you know, it was a 12 hour day. Didn't have to be. And I left there feeling like I didn't do my best work. And uh, so I think, you know, you're, it's a long-winded answer to your question, but I feel it's like one has to prepare and unprepare many times once they're on set. And you just have to, like a marathon, you just have to pace yourself and find ways to do that. When it came to this last thing with the gemstones, it's like, oh no, I was, you know, I was word, per- word perfect and never, you know, never, never, never varied at all, never took a take on my own. Uh, it was always it was always board perfect, and I did things differently and made some choices. And the director pulled me aside, like, "Dude, you gave me great stuff." Once I had my close up shot, there was great reactions and things. So, you know, certain things, certain shows, you know, you're going to be on your. I, I just try to be on my game all the time, but it is a challenge to prepare and unprepare over a ten to twelve hour period of time. Mm-hmm. You don't want to peak too soon, just like a marathon. You don't want to peak too soon. Um, and you want to be ready when the time comes. And so sometimes I, you know, I learned this thing from Mark Wahlberg, which is he, he has intimidatingly Zen-like focus on set. He does not get pulled into any energies of BS that's on the set at all. He has his little posse of people. He has his entourage. He stays in his corner. He stays quiet. So he preserves and reserves his energy for on camera. Mm-hmm. That's a really good lesson I like to be up there and having fun and making jokes and hitting craft services and, you know, getting to know everybody. I like, like it's a party for me, but I, but I am going to probably be taking more of a, you know, pay. And now that because of COVID, I'm just in my trailer alone. So, you know, there is that sense of solid and I don't like that. I like to be in my, I like to rehearse in the space that I'm working. Sometimes I go in ahead of time and I'll, I'll sit in my office and I'll work on the phone and I'll move things on my desk. And I'll, you know what I mean? Like I'll get a sense of space so that I can kind of map out when I get in there. And that's what we had with that rehearsal, but then it all kind of went away, you know? But I feel it's probably gonna be fine. Again, I, as I told you from the beginning, I, I don't know how it went. So it probably went pretty well, <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Because I wasn't, you know, watching it from on high or uh, an- analyzing, you know? I don't know, I don't know how it went, but I know that they wouldn't let me go unless they didn't have what they needed. Dallas Buyers Club, you're playing Jared Leto's father. How did you prepare for that? What relationship did you build? Wow. That was the, you know, that was my 50th movie and the one that everybody started to pay attention to who I was. It was, it was, it's quite lovely that I call that the, that was the turning point is uh, I actually worked with it with Tim Phillips on it and Tim Phillips gave the best advice, which is, don't forget the love because because tra- the trap of this scene is that you're, you're, you're all, re- all angry and all resentful all the time. Yeah. Don't forget that he's your first son and he was your pride and joy and he was everything. You had such incredibly high hopes for him 
but he chose to be transgender. He chose to be gay. And so he also chose to have his demise, you know, that's the, the cost of that lifestyle. This is to see how this is the character's point of view, but, yeah. you know, and I represent what's scary about that character is I represent every parent who's abandoned their child for coming out for being gay or trans or bisexual. And so people thought it was really me, which was kind of hard. My daughter's queer. So it was like, not me, <laughs> it was like, you know, and so that I had an amazing experience. Just a lot of it had to do with Jean-Marc Vallée. When I did the, uh, I was working on Treme in New Orleans. I did the, I worked with Tim Phillips. He said, don't forget the love. I went over to Taylor Loeb. She helped me craft it out. I actually have the audition. I show it in my workouts as a classic audition, which I was surprised I didn't show it recently. So I've been showing a classic audition and then a current audition sometimes to show people how I implement the tools that I share. And she gave me the note of not looking at him when he's looking at the photographs in the beginning, which ironically are actually real photographs of my wife and my daughter, of which he's not part of. Because I guess I didn't make the cut. I was like, well, you made that choice yourself. He goes, well, it's not a choice, dad. What do you want? You know, like, what the hell do you want? You know, within the first three lines, this, mind you, this script's been around for 20 years. So the economy of the words, you understand the entire relationship within the first three sentences, within the first action of a son looking at photographs of a family of which he is not part of. And so, you know, the prop guy was like, we need pictures of you and your wife and your kid without him. <laughs> and I was like, and we'll frame them. And it's in my office and he's holding them up and looking at them. And so, you know, I was, so Taylor gave me the note of to, to be appalled and be sickened by the fact that he's in my office and he's touching my things that I'm losing a sense of power and control you know, see him, but don't, don't make eye contact with him. That sense of like two kind of cats kind of like circling around each other. And so I did something that I've never done before in any set, um, which I'll probably try to replicate at some point. When I was in the trailer, uh, now mind you, Jared and I are only four years apart, but he's a vegan and a rock star and he looks like he's goddamn 20 years old. So, so <laughs> it worked out fine, but mathematically impossible for me to be his father. And we got, I got brown eyes. He's got blue eyes. So it's like, it just, but the point is I beat out names in New York and names in Los Angeles who didn't, who forgot the love of the scene. When I was doing Treme, I got called back with Jean-Marc Vallée and I, there was 20 people in the waiting room and they pushed me in front of everybody because I had to catch my flight back. And I went in and I was in there for 20 minutes because I ran that scene about 25 times. John Mark goes, oh, okay. In this moment, this here, the little bit, this. And I mean, at that point, I'd been working with Larry Moss. I'd been working with Tim. My, my, my craft and my skill set was on a very, very high, high level. And I just finished working with Marissa, uh, uh, Melissa Leo on Treme, opposite an Oscar winner, coming off of, you know, uh, The Fighter. And so my work was, you know, like we're in, and so he kept giving me little notes here and there, but my, in my callback, I did that one scene 25 times easily. And this little moment and that look, okay, try this, try this, try this, try this. And I was able to, and he said, no, I want that guy. Cause that guy is going to be able to do the scene over and over and over and over again, the way I want. I know who those actors are. They're probably not going to memorize their lines. Everybody's going to recognize who they are. It's going to take it out of the movie. I mean, he really fought for me. Mm. And then when I get on set, 
I'm in the trailer and my friend Robin won the Oscar for makeup in there. She's up on the up, upper where Jared's getting his pockmarks put on because he has AIDS. And I, he's got a headphones in and he's sitting and, he, and in the corner of my, he looks in the mirror and he sees me and I see him. And I go, no, I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not going to talk. I don't know him. I'm not going to talk to him. I decided I wouldn't speak to him as actor to actor. I almost always introduce myself before mm. I work or when I'm on set. I almost always do it. I did not do that in this scenario because I decided I don't know this person. This is a stranger. He's estranged to me. I don't want to have, I don't want to know him. I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not interested. And he seemed to really want to be in his own world and get where he's at because this scene is really crucial. Jared felt it's the scene that got him the Oscar. And uh, so we didn't talk to each other at all. In fact, when we got on set, I had no, I had no, I didn't reach out to my hand. I didn't talk to him at all. I just did exactly as I did in my audition. I just basically was at my desk and I never made eye contact with him. And it was as if he didn't fucking exist. You know, I threw out a whole, and then Jean-Marc Vallée, because we were shooting uh, with a Alexa, we didn't, we didn't have uh, manufactured lights. We used natural light in the thing. So there was a guy, you know, with a big bounce board, you know, 40 by 80 bounce board trying to bounce light into the, into the window and off of the streets of downtown New Orleans, which is not a lot of light up because of all the high rises. And so Jean-Marc had these speakers up, these Bose speakers that was playing these slow, methodical, sad song, like a concertina sad song. And it set the tone of the scene. And he said, I'm not going to call action. I want you to explore the space. Uh, don't worry about the camera. The camera's going to find you. Just explore the space as you want to. I'll say cut, and then I'll give you each individual notes, and then I'll walk away, and then you guys start whenever, and we'll go like, well, that's the way we'll work. But the music set this really slow, sad, melodic tone to it, and we didn't speak to each other. And then first take, that happens. He pulls Jared aside, says something. He whispers something in my ear. goes, you have an insurance policy. You're going to make millions of dollars from him dying of AIDS. And then he walks away. I go, oh, wow. I'm going to profit from his demise, you know. And then he would whisper something to Jared. And then he would come over to us. He goes, and he goes, and you miss him, you know. He's your boy. You, you know, you just want to hug him, but you, you, you're afraid to get AIDS. And he walks away. <laughs> And he just whispers these little things, you know, and then we end up doing the scene like 42 takes and about 10 or 15 takes in. He's like, say whatever you guys want. Just improv the scene. Let's just see kind of where it goes. And I said things like God's punishing you. God's good. God gave you AIDS. That's your gift for your choice. God's punishing you. And you're, you know, and then the next thing I say, I miss you. I start to cry. I miss you. I miss, I miss holding you. You're my boy. And we would cry and he would cry. And so they cut that scene into eight. There's eight different cuts in that one scene because they had 40 something takes to choose from. And by the time we were done, people were just bawling their eyes out at the, at the monitors. And when we were done, he reached across the desk. He goes, who are you? I said, I'm James Dumont. He goes, I'm Jared. He goes, you're amazing. He goes, this was amazing. I said, yeah. We really created some, some magic today, you know? And he goes, this is the scene. He goes, this is the scene. And when I left there, I put it on Instagram. I said, let me tell you right now. I just started working on Instagram because I knew he was big shit on Instagram. And I said, 
mark my words, this guy's going to get an Oscar nomination and this scene's going to be the one. And then Jared was like, he took me everywhere. Like, you know, 30 seconds to Mars comes to Hollywood, Hollywood Bowl, center stage, backstage passes, a party of Chateau Marmont, Golden Glo- the Golden Globes happen. He said, meet on the corner of Rodeo in Santa Monica. We're going to pick you up. I jump in the limo. We go to the Golden Globe party, you know, and he gets the Golden Globe. We go to the after parties, you know, and then Oscars. He's like, we're, we're at Vanity Fair. I mean, he took me everywhere. And he said, you know, that scene, he goes, the other scene of me in the mirror was really strong, but it's by myself. He goes, but that scene is the scene. And Jennifer Gardner was like, came up to me and she's like, that's my favorite scene in the movie. It's just so heartbreaking. A father abandoning his son. You know, and there's a moment where I kind of look in the mirror and I look in the window and smile. And that's only because Jer- uh, the director's like, try to catch the light from the window if you can. And there's this little smirky little smile where he's begging for money and begging for his life. And I had this little shitty grin on my face. And it's just uh, it's <laughs> because I was catching the light and I just found this little moment. And uh, yeah, it's just, you know, and then everybody in the industry. I mean, they walked away with best actor and best supporting actor and every, every critic, every award that year. And, and that movie almost didn't get made. We lost all of our money two weeks before we were shooting. I was stuck in a hotel and we lost our foreign money and, and Cassie and Elway's called in a, a 20 year old favor. And uh, this one you know, French uh, company put, put in 7 million bucks and we were, we were back in an action. So it was like the movie that never almost, and there, everybody was sick. Matthew was sick, had a doctor on set. Jared was starting to be very teetering very well because all the AIDS scenes were being done early, but they were very physically ill. That movie almost didn't get made and they almost died. And all of a sudden we walk away with three out of six Oscars. It was, uh, it was the Cinderella story of the year. <laughs> you know, we had, and, we had, and we were up against 12 Years a Slave. We lost Best Picture and Best Director to 12 Years a Slave. But you know, other than that, those guys swept everything that they touched. You know, it was incredible. Our time is just about to run out. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, man, good stuff. Oh, fi- final thing. How, how yeah. to find you and reach you. Yeah. Oh, the best way to read. I mean, uh, I'm a big Instagram fan and, fan, and it's James Dumont. My on-camera workouts are James Dumont's on-camera workouts on Zoom. I have it on Facebook. And uh, I've been working on the website. It's just taking forever. It just takes forever to do websites. Uh, but that'll be on cameraworkouts.com that'll come up. But uh, the best way to reach us is Facebook page. I keep an open Facebook page, even though both of them are filled right now. But Instagram is the best way. I'm also on Twitter. So I, the Instagram sure. is probably the best way. And we have, a, we have an on-camera workouts Instagram page, which is great because it has uh, videos of clips from my classes and things like that. But everything's on Facebook. You know, I like Facebook as my go-to because I'm over uh- 50. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a wrap for this week's interview. James has generously agreed to come back in the future, so if you have any follow-up questions for him or any of my guests, shoot me an email at kevin at the actorsprocesspodcast.com or through the Actors Process Podcast Instagram account. And please, if you haven't already, subscribe and leave a five-star review. It's your support that keeps this podcast going. And share the podcast with your fellow actors. Till next time, as always, know your lines and don't bump into the furniture. Oh,